Welcome to Boot Rap, the voice of the Bootstrap Network. The Bootstrap Network serves entrepreneurs around the globe. Part of it is really think about how it is you're going to find that customer and how, how they're going to experience you. And then from there, how do you, how do you monetize what you're doing? Welcome everybody. Can you hear me okay in the back? Okay, good. Um, I uh, wanted to welcome you guys to the first Bootstrap Film Festival. <laughs> My name is Brandy Rainey Amstel and I'm the leader of the Bootstrap Austin Film Subgroup. And we meet on the fourth Tuesday of every month. So I'd like to invite anyone that's interested to come check it out and find out more about our group. Um, essentially, most of you guys seem like your bootstrappers here, but I wanted to just say, uh, for the people that might not know what bootstrapping is, bootstrapping is a mindset. It's a way to approach your business, and in this sense, it's films or filmmaking. So um, you are all given a little flyer. I don't know if this is a flyer. Um, Maybe not. Feedback forms. Yes. Um, we'd really like to encourage you to give us some input on the films and also um, about the festival in general and what you liked or didn't like about it. Also, there's going to be a Q&A afterwards with the directors. And let me see what else there is to say. Um, I don't know, just enjoy the programming. And oh, I did want to mention something. There were some, we're going to have merchandise available for purchase in the back of the room. So um, DVDs are going to be $10, 16 bucks, and I'd love for you to check that out as well. So enjoy the programming, and I'll talk to you at the Q&A. Um, I'm a photographer, commercial photographer. I was looking to cast someone and for a shoot, I opened up a magazine and there's a picture of B. Joy. I thought, well, he's got the right look for this, you know, commercial ad that I'm shooting. So I, there was a website or his phone number. I called him up. It was a Sunday. He's like, yes, hi, my name is B. Joy. Can I, I'm like, can I cast you right off the bat? Well, could we meet for lunch the next week, okay, and discuss this, Mr. Nils? Uh, yeah, no problem. So we meet for lunch. We uh, we talk about this, uh, and he's like, "Yes, I could do that. I get a casting shot of him." And then uh, during the lunch, you tell me about uh, this play that you had done uh, with is it Kurt? Kurt, yeah, yeah Kurt, and uh, put it up at the Fringe Festival. Mm -hmm. And I said, "Well, that's really interesting. Um, I'd like to read it." because I was looking for a project at the time to, you know, tell a story. Um, so fast forward, uh, we do the shoot, I read the play, and almost instinctively just go, I have a reaction to it, which is, yeah, I, well, this is perfect, you know? It's one of those things where you just organically recognize something for what it is, uh, and that you should do it. So um, I just went, yes, we're going to turn this into a short film. And um, he said, well, that's great. And I, I uh, <laughs> knew James. And, and James, you know, you've looked, like a, you've looked pretty close to this all the time that I've known you. You know, his hair is, I mean, just way out there. But you have such a, and or, you know, I would see him down at Casa de Luz all the time. And uh, we knew each other. I called you up. You're interested. Yes, my wife, Jana, is a, an acting coach. She started coaching Be Joy. And James, to get them into the groove, I had a friend who is a DP, uh, James Webb, a really great DP. Uh, uh, sorry, director of photography. Yeah, good question, sorry. Um, uh, my friend Rodney was available to help us out, and the... Um, He's the guy who walked through the back of the... Yeah. The commercial. And, um, and we've got a sound guy that I didn't know, so, but he was recommended to me. I, had, I hired him. And then we had to find locations. Uh, uh, you know, we're in a small airport. Well, my, my brother-in-law's friend used to own a company that did business with a small airport. We called him up. Can we come out and shoot for like a couple hours, you know? They're like, sure. I'm like, wow. That's a big location, and a small airport. We were there for like seven hours one day. We found a cab driver. Uh, then we're in a, in a boutique that my friends own. Can we come in and shoot one morning for an hour? Yeah, no problem. Driscoll, 
uh, we needed, and you knew, uh, what is, was it Karen? Yeah, the, the gal that runs the... Yes, Karen, you knew Karen, so we were introduced to Karen, I said, can we come in and shoot for a couple hours? Um, and she said, yeah, no problem. But, I mean, that's, that's amazing. Now, when you get those favors, um, you know, I was raised to <laughs> in a in in a Danish culture. That's like a big deal. So you really want to make sure that you get the job done and and not you know um, you're not a burden to everyone. So we are we're very specific with getting in and out of these places at the time and not bringing a huge crew with us either. Um, my friend edited uh, the project uh, out of the grace of his heart, and you had a friend uh, Lance who did the music. Um, he was here actually earlier. He was? Oh man, I haven't met Lance. He did such a nice job. You did the music. You had a piece in there, of mm -hmm. course. And um, so it was a, and, and it was a, a collabor collaborative process between um, my wife and I at the same time as we're trying to fix our marriage <laughs> two years ago. <laughs> it worked well, actually. We're still together. Uh, so, so, the, so there were all these uh, aspects of it that, that were important to me with a vision of making a film, but also making a comprehensive organic experience that everyone is enjoying. Not just me personally enjoying telling James what to do, you know, uh, but actually having a friendship and a great experience, um, kind of like hosting a party. Does that, does that bring, it, bring it in? Yes, and and you know the um, yes, and thanks for again uh, great. In s we, when we had the script, it was written for stage. We didn't spend six months rewriting it, which we could have done. We we it was important to keep up the momentum, and thus just proceed as is. You know, we're just the material is here. We're going to do it just the way it is, more or less. And when you do that. You, there are, are things that you could not predict that comes, come into play as opposed to when you hold back and you're afraid of jumping in. Does that make sense? Am I expressing this correctly? So you take advantage of that wave of just moving forward movement. And even if you don't have all the answers, you just keep uh, persevering. Um, and it's so interesting today for me to, to see it on the big screen because I have never seen it on a big screen. And it plays uh, really well to me two years later. I was a little apprehensive about being here going, man, I, that was two years ago. I really, you know, I don't know um, what will this look like. Uh, I was probably the most nervous person uh, here. Um, and it played really nicely. So there you go. Thank you. <laughs> How many films have you directed? This was my first one. I just finished my second one this spring, which had a similar um, emphasis on on um, on experience. In uh, I decided that the next step up would be to to do a longer piece, um, and I, we were going to write it from scratch. I didn't have original material, so I wrote it with my co-writer, and I was concerned again about being locked into perfecting a script. So I decided that whatever we did. Um, the strongest parameter I could, I could set to ensure that it would get done is that the um, film would be done in one take. So when we shot it, we, so we wrote it for three months, we had a cast of maybe over 30 people, we had numerous locations, a uh, water taxi, uh, taco truck, cars, pedicabs, I mean this, that, and the other, and we shot it on one take, uh, in one take on Sunday, April 13th, and it's a 45-minute uh, film. Uh, we shot for 65 minutes and edited down to 45 minutes, and we just screened it for for friends, and Bejoy were there, um, was there, and uh, now I'm getting pleased ready. With it? What? Were you pleased with it? Yes, very pleased, very pleased. Uh, again, so it's it, pretty amazing to do one take. Yes, it is. I mean, did you play it back on the set to make sure that there weren't any no. errors there? No, 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 we, no, we, no, we started at uh, 7.20. We had everyone in place. We had uh, a couple of teams running ahead, making sure the actors were there. Everyone was waking, uh, waiting. I mean, there was, a, like I said, a, a, a boat. There was a spoken word artist. There was, you know, a bride. There were all these people. And uh, it's a lot of fun winging it for me. Mm -hmm. That's the most, that's the thing I enjoy the best. Yeah. 
is to set the stakes and have the game plan and move forward. And again, a lot of magic comes comes yeah. in my experience when you do that. So we started at 720 and we just kept going. And there were moments where uh, for most of the time, uh, I just was, uh, you know, flying by the seat of my pants, but everything fell into place, thankfully. Oh, it's it's uh, you know that's uh, it's a perfect example. One of the things you know, part of what we wanted to do for the second session is for people that were interested in their own projects, whatever that might be, not just a film, but how what is blocking you from uh, taking a step and making progress on it. You know, and one of the things that's really interesting is is we all feel constrained. So one of the things we say at Bootstrap is constraint creates innovation, and so it's a it's a mindset of looking at constraint as your friend, not your enemy. Um, and that's such a perfect example of what he's talking about there, where, where he says, I'm going to constrain the film, that we've got to do it in one take. What, what happens as a result of that? And actually what really happens is innovation. You, know, you come up with new things that you didn't, you didn't think you could, could happen. Um, a lot of times in the film world, and part of what we're going to discuss later on is, is you know, the, there's this sort of different ways of looking at, if you look at film, people think, well, two and a half hour feature film, and it's got to be produced, and I need a million dollars. So immediately, <laughs> you, you, you've, you sort of thought yourself out of doing anything um, because you've, you, you've scoped it so large. So one of the things that, that bootstrappers do is we, we actually just take what's available and then you know, use it and, then, and, and say, that's good enough. Um, but what's really interesting is that you actually get a totally different result. You actually get something new that you didn't realize. Like one of the interesting things to me is, is how the, the format of films, they started off as short films, just like music, right, singles. And then as resources got more and more, they became longer and longer and longer. These gigantic Hollywood production affairs, $100 million. But what's happening now in technology is that we're getting reversal back where we're consuming singles again. Right? I mean, probably Sgt. Pepper's was probably the biggest concept album, and then it's sort of the decline, the steady decline of the album has been going on since then. But in a way, that's also happening with film. It's like, what happens when I can download a short film on my, on my, on my phone and watch it on the way to work? That's probably what I'm going to do. I'm not going to watch a three-hour film on my phone. So, you know, so that's part of what's really interesting about it is that, again, constraint is your, is your friend as a bootstrapper. Yeah. Yes. Yes. You know, one of the things I guess I would honor in this whole conversation is this idea of honoring who you are, where you are, so that creates abundance in your efforts in building business, whether it be film here as a great example or starting from nothing, of course, you here you're feeling like you don't have the resources, but yet if in a mindset of abundance you actually can you're sort of attracting that at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it allows for innovation to happen. And uh, so I just wanted to add that because it's That's a awesome. part of creating and inventing and producing out of what feels like maybe there isn't that in the pocketbook at, right. the, at the right. time. I want to br- so. bring up a budget here. if just yeah. Because the budget for Mystic Cab was around 1500 bucks. Right. That was... That was, uh, and I specifically want to mention that the courtesy that the post-production came was a gift, was a massive, because that is, but everything was, you know, gifted. A lot of things were gifted. So the, the, it was a $1,500 budget for, for Mystic Cab, roughly, and it was roughly a $1,500 budget for the 40-minute film that I was telling you about, the take that I shot just uh, uh, two months ago. But probably if you, if you were to count, and this is probably true of, these, of our other films too, is if you were to count the, the economic value of all the help that you got from friends and family and all Oh, yeah, stuff, yeah. It'd probably be like another ten or $15,000. I mean, No, it would probably have been closer to uh, My rate thirty. Was 20 grand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, yeah, the, it would have been closer to, yeah, closer to 30. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Uh, if 40 if if we have to sell it and and if it sells and all that then we'll go through all of those contracts and that will we'll find out what the value of it is but while you're at it and you're creating something and and bearing in mind that you're making it fun for folks to work on if everyone is having a good time and I say to my my friends and everyone look we're gonna do this in one take you're just gonna do it in one take will you be here for that moment yes or for you guys Two and a half days took us to shoot Mr. Cab. Um, okay, we can do that. We're down with that. Did you guys want to add oh, to that? 
Well, uh, to I think to your original question, how did how did each one of us bootstrap, or how was bootstrapping, um, you know, used? Um, I'm Jason Howell. I, I did the Autoerotica, the first film, and I'm not. Uh, I would consider myself an entrepreneur, a serial entrepreneur, and a bootstrapper first that happened to make film. And how that came about is I was asked to donate some art to Art Erotica, one of the penises. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. <laughs> and so going into the process, I'm like, well, I could do a YouTube video about this. It's kind of quirky. Maybe, you know, get some hits. And I started interviewing some of the volunteers and, and the artists and really realized that they had a pretty interesting model going on. They're using... How am I supposed to be... Uh, they're using uh, sex and titillation to raise HIV awareness and raise money for, for AIDS. That's brilliant. And then uh, I started doing research uh, online and saw some of the statistics like, you know, one in 20 in Washington, D.C. are HIV positive. Nobody's talking about it in the United States. And, and we haven't talked about it for 10 years. I asked my college-bound cousin what he knew about AIDS, and he said it's something that happens in Africa. And at that point, I knew that I had engaged people in the conversation. And so I just kind of, you know, went back to my, you know, bootstrapping skills, because that's what I've been doing with my web business and everything else, is like, how can I bootstrap a film? And so I went all guerrilla style and just, you know, grabbed what resources I had. I've never made a film before. I just started doing it. Absolutely. And, you know, I luckily there's resources uh, in Bootstrap. I started going to the, the, the film group. Uh, I found mentors. I asked lots of questions. Um, and, uh, and what you see up there is my demo. Um, I've edited a couple different versions and tested with different audiences. And I want to be able to speak to a lot of different audiences. But that particular film doesn't reach young people. It doesn't reach African-Americans. It doesn't reach um, uh, different demographics who are uh, really at high risk. So I realized that I need to make different films telling the same story right. to reach those audiences. Which, which is also the, the, the thing behind your business, the quality of touch, is the how, do you, how are you approached as a consumer? It's kind of that, his core business is actually not filmmaking. It's this, it's this I mean, in a way, marketing business. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm much more of a marketer than I'm a filmmaker. Right, right. <laughs> So, so, ready? Um, well, since I had three, it's sort of hard to really do a general, but um, I can say that I just made films because I wanted to and I thought it was cool. Uh, that's how I got into it. Uh, I did a 48-hour, it was like make a film in a weekend thing, and just the audience's reaction got me hooked on wanting to do film, and I had a... Uh, bachelor in Fine Arts, so I already was artistic, and um, this was just like a way that I could include videos as another form of creativity, and so I was really excited that now uh, there was technology and tools available to me at a price point that was, you know, manageable. So um, that's kind of what got me into it. Um, so I would say well, uh, when I first found out about Bootstrap and like started thinking about how this would work, I went to lunch with Bejoy and I was telling him about my film and um, I had submitted to several festivals and had not been accepted. You know, people would say it's great, they love it and all this stuff, but yet it's still not getting into festivals and that just didn't make any sense. And I felt really like at the whim of, of luck or, you know, just whatever. It didn't seem fair, it didn't seem right. So he asked me a question. He was like, okay, so if you didn't do film festivals, like how else could you get your film to the market, to the audience, or how else could you make money from it? And I was like, whoa. Whoa! And so then I felt like this huge weight was lifted off of me and just ideas came to me like in that moment. We're sitting there still at lunch and ideas are coming. I'm like, oh, wow, well, I, I have some pretty interesting ways that I could do that. Like that was in my control and my power. And I could experiment and see if I, you know, fail or not. But just like this hoping that I get into Sundance with no control over it was um, odd. So then, since then, I mean, I've, uh, with Little Dove, I have been able to um, 
well, I've done a lot of things with it. I've created merchandise. That was the original idea. Immediately, oh, we got to do merchandise. And then I took a lot of the stills and I put it into a book. And right now I'm trying to get that published, which is a whole nother uh, fiasco. Um, but um, adventure. <laughs> adventure, exactly. Um, but then I also have it uh, available online. Um, so, and then as part of that, I have it on Amazon.com. Uh, so it's available there. And then recently I have it distributed through B-Side Entertainment where you can do digital download of it. You're not getting the full DVD, but you're getting like just what you saw tonight. And then I'm also working with a company, Movies in a Flash, one over here. And what he's doing is, is uh, very cool. He's creating a way for people to come to my site, like I've been having them come all along, is come to littledovethemovie.com, and now they can actually digitally download it from there and purchase it, so they don't have to go to B-Side. But the thing about B-Side is that they are pulling, they're, they're already marketing and getting people to come to, uh, it's a different market than what I hit. So um, that's how I got into Bootstrap. And then the open house, I realized that, oh, I'm just creating a demo. <laughs> so why would I spend money? Because actually Little Dove was fairly expensive. It was 12 grand, but that's because I had to take a bunch of people out to the middle of nowhere and we had to rent vehicles and stuff. Um, including Joseph. Including Joseph, yeah. And um, But then when Open House came around, I was like, oh, we got to do this down and dirty. I mean, this is going to be really ugly. And so I made it for less than $200. And that was because I had to feed the people. You know, they want to see their name go really slow on credits and they want food <laughs> and drinks and and so um <laughs> you guys didn't get food on little dough huh <laughs> they had brownies and oil they were good um <laughs> The, the thing, the funny thing about Little Dove was that we actually had to camp, and so it took everybody being a real trooper. There was no place to stay. There's no hotels, and so they all like had their own little tents. And I rented gear for ones that didn't have it, and we had to be a little tribe and prepare our foods, you know, for the whole camp and uh, make fire. There was a fire builder, there was a cooker, there was a cleaner. I mean, it was just great how, in addition to them being uh, the the team for filmmaking, they were all. Also, you know, the making it happen <laughs> in life. It was. It was great. So, um, I think that does that answer your question? Yeah. And that's also, I think, that kind of leads to this this idea of, of the the different actions. You know, the demo on the poster that we have out there: demo, sell, build. Right. So that the, the often the assumption is that you got to go build everything up front and build this great gigantic thing, and then go and find customers and the distribution and. It's kind of the, it's we, we just reverse that bootstrappers and it's not just film bootstrappers it's actually bootstrappers like Richard Branson and Michael Dell and and you know John Mag I mean it's, it's a it's a consistent pattern that it turns out you don't have to make it all up front and you can use whatever you want so that was cool because you you started also Niels was really talking about how do you bootstrap the creation of that initial thing that the artifact whatever that is of the film or whatever it is and then. Brandy was really talking about the second phase. We call that the Valley of Death. So the, the ideation phase is where you got to put that demo together, and it turns out you have all these resources to do that. The Valley of Death is that cell phase, and you know, and so part of that, part of the experiments, all the different experiments you're conducting. All you also went to all the Native American mm -hmm. uh, meetups and all that. Yeah, powwows. Powwows, right? So that's yeah. the, it's a micro market for her. So that's a different customer base. So that that you're running a lot of experiments there to sell, and turns out, and because of distribution and downloads, that can also start becoming sustainable too. So. Yeah, that's the other piece about Little Dove, too, was that I initially thought, well, well, what it was, was my market was the festivals. You know, I really wanted to get into a festival, and that wasn't the audience that was appropriate for Little Dove. So then we went to, oh, well, Native Americans like it. Well, let's get it to the powwows. And it's still, there's some guy that's selling them for me through the powwow circuit. And then um, since then, I've also shown it to a bunch of different people within the spiritual, the inspirational market, and they love it. And so it's just like kind of weaving it around, finding out who likes it, what's the, what's, how can I get to these people? And so that's another aspect of it. Who's question? Yeah, so uh, my, my main question is, uh, obviously with Little Dove, you, you were trying to make money from the game. Uh, but it, it sounds like maybe the rest of you don't necessarily need to profit from the film or it's not a profit-making uh, endeavor necessarily right but uh, it can be I mean you know people can can buy it and watch it right so my question is uh, did you plan on making money 
and if so what's your distribution plan and uh, you know what are the best things that are working for you now excellent question uh, I see I see my um, <laughs> I'm a um, I'm a photographer. That's how I make a living. I see my film career uh, s stepping up to the point where I will be selling my movies. So this was the first part of that. I get my feet wet and see what the experience is like and collaborate. The next piece was the take, which was uh, something I just had to do. I had to, had to get it out of my system. So it was coming from that point. And, and it was really important to enjoy the whole process through that. So now I've finished it, now I'm submitting it to festivals, and we'll see where it goes from there. I'm currently developing um, four screenplays, and I mean actively writing them. I have one that's ready to go, and the take will be used to um, sell the idea of um, me directing a screenplay for which I may need somewhere between twenty-five dollars to $50,000, I discovered that I could make, um, you know, I discovered what the budget might be for the screenplay that I've written already based on the take, because I realized, oh my God, I can shoot it and I can actually make it a lot cheaper than I thought. So it's brought the budget idea down from something I couldn't even fathom. You know, I was like, is it 100000 Is it two? What do I need? I don't know. Now I know that. I know the numbers. I might even be able to do it for fifteen, which I could then do. So the goal is to get to the point where I'm testing my market, I'm testing my skills, and then I, it should fall into place. Um, so I have a longer-term vision with it, and that's how I... Uh, like to work with that uh, a build up so, so well actually before you finish what about distribution have you, have you gone as far as how are you going to distribute it because that's our business the, yeah the current which which ones the uh, the take or the mystic cab this one or maybe the next one or two the that will no I haven't is the right is, is the right answer to that there's so many avenues of doing it, and um, I really don't know. Yeah, and actually, actually, Mystic Cab is something that I'm marketing and selling, so he doesn't, he's not been having to worry about that. But yeah, but part of what we're doing with that is, for me, um, the, the, the Mystic, Mystic Cab for me is not, again, I'm not a filmmaker, right? I'm not an actor, I'm not a writer, but I've got a film. But the reason for that for me is it's, it's kind of like it's a vehicle to, to share ideas and, and get people thinking about the journey in life and all that kind of stuff so part of what's happening there is it's getting packaged into something uh, a live show and then things that we're going to go do that way and that creates marketing for it going to create an experience then people want to learn i want to get more and so that's also going to be a part, big part of what we do along with amazon and all the other stuff which is easy and trivial to do um, but really the, the challenge is not it's not distribution Distribution is not the issue. The distribution is, whether it's you guys or whether it's Amazon, it doesn't matter. It's, it's, about, it's about getting to the customer. So that's the issue. So, so because, the, because of the internet and what's happening, the, the get, you know, once I know where to point my browser, I can go get the film. You know? um, so, so that's the thing that, that has to be thought about. And, and that's where, you know, for example, in Mystic Cab and Little Dove, and then with this, that's what we're actively you know, going, doing now. Now that we've got our demos out, you know, that's what we're doing now. And, and for me, Mystic Cab is part of a, a, a story, you know, part of a, a larger piece of sharing ideas and getting people to think. So, so yeah, that's, that's how we see that. That's how I, I see think it. that's a great pragmatic question, and I don't have an answer for it yet. You know, so I'm, a part of it is, you know, I'm creating the pro product, and at a certain point, there's go got to be um, critical mass that the quality of the product attracts the distribution, you know, or I get smarter, I get more educated. But you're also seeing a difference in, in so the a mindset here, right? Right. The so versus the exactly, market. exactly, the, the, and also also the structures. You got to look at the structures of these things. So part of what part of what we, it's amazing how how much we're in a structure, right? We're in the matrix, <laughs> and the matrix sort of automatically tells us to do a bunch of things. We do it. So in the film world, basically, you've got sort of two options right now. You've got the, well, I'm going to make my little demo film, and then hopefully I'll, someone will see me, and then they'll think I'm good, and they'll give me, you know, and eventually I'll make a big film. And that's sort of the classic Hollywood model, and you got to you know, get to know all that. You probably just move to L.A. if you want to do that model, because that's where it's all happening. And it's all about relationships and all that kind of stuff. 
Then the other model on the other side of the duality is, is this ind is indie film model. And what's really become dominant um, is, is this film festival concept. Oh yeah, get into film festival. Same same thing again. You you don't have control over your destiny. And now, oh yeah, does a film and from a film festival point of view, hey, what does it take to make a film? Nothing, right? As we as we just pointed out. So guess what? They're getting hundreds and thousands of submissions. Again, and then they tell you, oh sorry, you can't view your film in public because we want to be the first to show it. No, thank you. So that's part of what's happening is that, the, that these two structures are being presented to people and, and actually that's, neither of them should be the, the, the real choice. I mean, if you want to play those two games, power to you. I don't want to play that game. So the, the bootstrap game is really that third choice, which is you start getting really, really creative. Um, one of the really interesting things is um, there's, a book, there's a book called 100 Things That Men Know About Women. And this, this, this woman in Austin wrote this book and it's not a book because it's 100 blank pages. <laughs> And it's, it's a brilliant concept, right? Well, where did, she sell, where did she sell hundreds and thousands of copies of it? At Crate and Barrel. <laughs> she sold hundred, hundreds of thousands of copies of a book that had, no, that had blank pages because it was so gimmicky, it was so smart that people would go to the Crate and Barrel, they see that, they go, oh my God, it's so funny, and they'd throw it in there, right? So she found a completely different, this is the other, the, the mindset is, oh, distribution, how do people see films? They see them in theaters like this, and that, no, 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 they don't. They're going to start seeing them on their cell phones. They're going to start seeing them in lots of other ways. So part of it is really thinking through and, and then throwing a lot of experiments to really think about how it is you're going to find that customer and, and how, how they're going to experience you. And then from there, how do you, how do you monetize what you're doing? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree 100%. Let, sorry, sorry, we, go we're going through that process, right? The bootstrap process. Right? Yeah, yeah. And it's exactly the way you described. So I think, yeah. you know, we, I'm in agreement anyway, but... I think there's also another phase to this that is very unique to this kind of media, or actually anything that's artistic or creative, is that the creator doesn't necessarily want to worry about the business side or the distribution, and that's what we're taking advantage of. We're well, taking advantage of yeah. just making it easier, more access. Well, like right, it, it, and again, it depends on again, it depends on on your on, on what you want to do, and that's really good. So you're you're basically saying, hey, that's what, what we've discovered about bootstrappers is a great bootstrap team. So think about Apple Computer. Okay, that's a great bootstrap story. You got Steve Jobs, and you got Steve Wozniak. Was was the guy who invented the computer. He's sitting in his office at HP, and he goes and makes up this computer. He goes to his boss and says, hey, I want HP to make this computer. And their boss goes, what is this thing? We, we sell printers. I mean, do you know what we do? <laughs> Calculators? You know, this is 25 years ago, right? And his boss goes, you know, let me take it up, to the, up the chain. So they go up three levels up. That guy says, no thanks. Off they go. Steve Jobs is walking around barefoot. It doesn't take showers and doesn't shave. But he walks into a, <laughs> walks into a computer shop and gets an order for 50 of these things. Calls up his friend Wazi. So I got an order for fifty. Can we make them? Meanwhile, at the same time, synchronistically, his the HP said, "Hey, you can have your invention, right?" So in in the great teams that that come together, uh, and you can see this. You know, Niels is like, eh, "I'm not necessarily sure how that's going to happen," but that's part of what I what we've as as far as Mystic Cab is our collaboration. I said, "Look, that's that's what I'm going to go do." So you need that. You need you you need someone to take on that responsibility who has that different energy. So I got a t-shirt here, you know, this is the, this is the evangelist energy. <laughs> this is the people that go and make things happen in the world. Whereas the creators, the mavens of the world kind of love to just sit there and make, make up what, it, what they make. So that's part of it is finding that power of two, like, like, in, like Grover and Dick, right? Dick is like, hey, that's what I do. <laughs> that's what I love doing. And Grover's like, great, I just want to pontificate. <laughs> and it's also right, right time, right action. I was uh, giggling at your question because of, of this, when we were like working together, I'm all about the revenue model. Right. Where, you know, where's the revenue coming from? Um, and a, a lot of the bootstrap model is you create your demo and then you go find your audience. And once you kind of gather your audience, hopefully you get feedback from them with dollars. And at that point, you know, you need to be able to distribute it to them. So when I heard what y'all were doing, I was very excited. I was actually, it's like, oh, Brandy was getting hers on first. And I was like, I wanted to be the first one on there. So honestly, I, this is, this is, I'm in Valley of Death with, and, and I know for some people that doesn't mean anything, um, yet, if you stick around a little bit, you'll learn what the Valley of Death is. Um, this is my demo that I'm trying to find audiences for. I'm trying to build an audience around this particular film or learn how do I need to tweak the film or the message to grow an audience around it, at which point I would need someone like you to help distribute it. Well, can, can I just actually, can we just take that offline? I want to make sure we get other people in. So, any other questions, comments? Yeah. 
as of today, I've, I'm new to the concept of bootstrapping, so I hope this is not off topic. Um, um, I really enjoyed the films. They, each one of them I got a great message from. And um, I was wondering if, if that is the you know, concept of having a message in these films, if that's something you aim for. And um, and yeah, and how were those how were those chosen? And the only one I didn't walk away with a message with uh, from was the second or third one. Second. Second. And I was wondering how it was. I mean, all of them were just you know I smiled at the end. Yeah. I So so your question was around what the messages? Um, yeah. Or the, what's the theme? What oh, how does film chosen? Way, and how does that relate to Bruce Evans? And it may not at all. It's That's great. Well, I, I think um, it. all these films were either about bootstrapping or were made by a bootstrap filmmaker or in the bootstrapping process. Uh -huh. And um, I th even, even Snake Pit is made by a bootstrap filmmaker and in, in that bootstrapping process. Yeah, I can say a little bit more about that because I, I get that Snake Pit is, um, it's horror. I mean, it's completely different than all the rest of them and it, its the intention is probably not to make you feel good when you leave. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, for, for me, Snake Pit was, um, it wasn't my first film, but it was like one of the first, it's when I was what we'll call the pre-ideation stage where I'm kind of figuring out like, well, what is my role in all of this? And like, what do I want to be in the world of filmmaking and um, I had dabbled with some stuff that I will never show people by the way <laughs> but I had done some stuff and like that was all part of the process of figuring out you know what do I want to do this what's the big what's the parts that are fun for me mm -hmm. like I, I'm yeah so in Snake Pit it became very very clear for me that I am a director <laughs> I'm a producer I'm the one that's gonna make this happen I'm the one that has like an artistic vision for it and like I'm the one that makes brings all these people together and they think it's really cool because they're the Maven mm -hmm. people and they're just doing what they love which is you know she's a makeup person and she just wants to do you know blood and stuff you know or <laughs> so I think that that's kind of how it fits within the bootstrap that particular film fits within bootstrapping other than I also didn't spend very much money it was done with just the resources I had Oh, no, it's perfect. Thank you for your question. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so you asked also about concept, right? Um, just the, how that ties in. I mean, just like I said, I knew mm -hmm. the concept of it. So um, I didn't know if that was the, if, you know, uh, you, you all are very, uh, you, you bring something more than just, you know, your artistic talent. I really walked away with that, you know, great messages. So I was mm -hmm. just wondering if that, if that ties in with, um, did I answer yeah. your question then? You did. I, okay. I, so okay. I asked my question clearly. Well, actually, actually, the the for me, the the Mystic Cab, and what was really interesting about Mystic Cab is uh, the original title of Mystic Cab when we wrote it as a play was is Guru or Disciple? Question mark. Yes. Exclamation point. Which is <laughs> rather obscure, <laughs> but um, and and I was trying to expose an idea of of this idea of two people coming together and realizing the chemistry that comes when, when two people with different skill sets and capabilities finally face each other and go, holy crap, we, we, got, we can go do something together, right? And that's what you see time and time again in these entrepreneurial teams that happens. So now one of the interesting things was I, I, I wasn't really trying to make a movie about bootstrapping, but of course by the end of it, they come out and they, start, they form their company. And so what we're trying to do is give some, some light and, and show the process that it's dynamic. It's, 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 it's whatever's around, you know? That you pick up a guy from your cab and all of a sudden that guy could be your business partner, you know? And, and because they've got these different skills. So that's one aspect. The second one was this, the, the different energies of those two characters. It was actually funny because when I was being directed, so when I played the play, I played, I'm an evangelist. I don't know if you could tell, but I mean, if that word means anything. I mean, I love to get up and, you know, talk and things like that. Well, when we did the play, I played Grover as an evangelist. So I was just up there very active and animated and everything. So then when we came back and I was, I was, and Jonna was directing, uh, acting coach, she said, um, she said, you're doing it all wrong. And I said, what's wrong? She said, you have to do much, much less. And she hadn't even, you know, read my book or anything like that, but she, she immediately intuitively knew that this character is a maven. 
and I'm playing him as an evangelist. Maven, the deep thinking people, and I'm playing him as an evangelist. She's like, no, no, you got that. Dick's the evangelist. <laughs> He's the one that's doing stuff in the world. Grover's just quietly thinking in his deep thoughts. So that's that aspect is also kind of exposed, you know, in in the story. Plus, you watch them really going through. These guys are talking about different stages. You really watch them going from their own stages individually and together, you know, as they make that progress through the bootstrap journey. So that's the thing about bootstrapping is wherever you are, there's some right action for you to take next. Okay, that's that's really the essence of it. So what one of the things like you were talking about pre ideation um, is is it's all about kind of saying yes. Right, we were having this discussion yesterday. The, 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 the first stage is getting to know yourself. And that's part of what Brandy was talking about. Like, I, do I like film? Do I want to make film? I got to go try and do it. I got to go develop that stuff. And so all of a sudden, you kind of awaken to yourself. And that's kind of your first, oh my gosh, I am totally unique in this world. And I have a totally unique perspective, skills, experience. No one else has it. Then you've got to actually say yes to the journey. And, you know, one of the interesting things is we'll all throw up roadblocks about why we can't do what it is we really, really want to do in life. And for me, when I started my company, it was my green card. I, I was an, I mean, an Indian citizen, and I didn't have a green card, and my green card was being worked on by my company, so I couldn't start a company. You know, I couldn't do my journey. And sure enough, when I finally committed and said yes, three months later, I had my green card. Right? So that's a weird, it's like, oh, health insurance, or whatever excuse we come up with, that's the thing you're wrestling with in that, in that next stage, the pre-ideation stage. And then finally, you're like, okay, I'm done. I'm going to do it. I can't not do it. And that's when you come up and you've got to create that, that demo. You see? So part of it is really interesting is wherever we are in our own process, it's, it's about getting clear about what's really, what we really have to do and what we really have to deal with. And getting clear, okay, I've got to deal with yes. I've got lots of excuses. Let's go work on that. You know? Exactly. You're exactly right. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, and the number one, the number one thing I respond is that le- is for the the best thing that that you said is that you know that you don't want to do those tasks. That's that's sort of one thing. I now, know that I don't want to do them, but I know that I need to do them. Yes, I, I need to separate them. Right, right. So there's there's two, two two pieces to that. One is the bootstrapper just always forges ahead. So there's certain things you're going to have to do. Just you got to do them. The other part is that the bootstrapper looks around for the resources that are available. So part of why we create this community of Bootstrap Austin is we're, we're like, hey, oh my God, you have that skill. Like, I mean, you know, Jason has all this web skill development skill. So that's all. That's what we're trying to do is, is get us into contact with each other so we can help each other. Now, Bootstrap Austin is by, by no means the only place to do that. So part of it is to cultivate, when, when Niels can make all those calls, right, it's because he developed all those relationships and he, and he, he said, hey, can you help me with that and this and the other thing? Yeah, it took, it took many years of, of having that network down where I was able to make those calls. And actually honing uh, uh, through my photography, I got all those contacts. Um, so I w- I'm finally at a place where I have the preparation needed for this, um, you know, which is, which is good. I'd like to add something to that. Yeah, please. Trust. Yeah. Um, I think that's what we Yeah.
Actually, I think a lot of directors forget that. Clearly, the people up here did not, just based on what they said. But um, a lot of times, we don't think about that in Austin. I mean, I just sit at home and think, God, this is, I don't know this person. Are they going to create a great piece of work? And the actor's thinking that, too. The people that you're talking about, that you're going to rely on to put your resource, resources in, they're thinking that, too. They're thinking, hmm, I don't know if this guy's reliable. They're thinking the same thing you are. Mm -hmm. And then that's and exactly sitting yeah. at home without someone giving them a chance to do a project. And right. That's what everyone up there had to do. They had to trust the actors and the actors had to trust them and trust the sound guy and the transportation guy and the makeup person and that's how you create something because you come together and you want to do it and you use the resources you have, period. And you have these thoughts and it gets done. And you know what? At the end of it, you usually have a good and, and there's, there's really a huge thing to that, that if you've made the commitment, if you said yes in the most fundamental way, it's like when Niels is like, I'm going to do this, and we're going to make this boom, it's going to be one take, and everyone's like, okay. You know, <laughs> it's just part of that, right? So you, part of what, what you, when you have that commitment, and you're not going to take an excuse, you're not going to ever give an excuse to yourself. Other people just want to follow, they want to be part of that process. Um, the other thing that we've learned at Bootstrap, which is kind of an obvious thing, is you got to help people first. You know, how can I help you? What, what, how can you help someone first? And think about that, and then all of a sudden, people go, "Oh my gosh, thank you so much! Well, how can I help you back?" And then, and then you then you're into a circle exchange that builds that trust that you're talking about there. You know, or you have people trying to talk you out of the project very briefly. They're trying to. I had a few people say, I "Can't do that." What are you talking? About? I mean, they get got upset. There are people that have worked in the business for 20 years. What are you doing, Nils? I, I don't understand the story. What do you think you are, Fellini or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> this is my neighbor, Jeff, and we have a great relationship. He's like, hey, Nils, I'm just trying to be honest, okay? I don't want you to, you know, I said, I very much appreciate it because you've just really pissed me off and <laughs> and I'm so motivated right now <laughs> so keep put it say some more Jeff yeah I mean I just this story is just thin I mean do you just want to make beautiful images I'm like okay great and uh, and you know at the end of it he saw the film and uh, and a few other skeptics that I didn't necessarily expect to I mean you know and he's like, that was great, Nils. I think you should pursue this. And he was inspired by it. Thank you. You know, and it was good. So, so it works like that if you have that feel. What were you going to say, Jim? Well, there's, a, there's another element of it. You know, when you're, when you're working on these projects and you've got creative people and you know that, okay, people will do this better than I will and I'm, I'm good at this piece and this is what I should be doing. You know, there's that period where you've identified it and then there's a period where you attract those people in. And sometimes you have to train somebody a little bit to be able to do it. And other times you kind of get to that situation where you're like, okay, I've got to shell out some cash for this because this is valuable. And, you know, it's just kind of weighing that for each project and seeing, you know, what's going to work for, for you. I, I find personally that it's like when I set my foot down and say, you know what, that's it. This has to be this way, and I'm going to have to pay somebody to do it, and I don't know where I'm going to get the money, but I'm doing it. Mm. Then, like you said, you know, the money comes, yeah. and, and you get that. But you just kind of have to make that decision for yourself. I, have a, I guess we'll Um, well, for, for Dick, <laughs> it's really it's fun having people point at you and say, Mr. Dick. <laughs> uh, I was really playing, like, two characters, ultimately. So, um, yeah, you know, I mean, everybody has their own training, their own way of doing it and drawing from whatever experience. But the asshole Dick was great. He was a lot of fun to play. We were talking about that earlier. It's like, it's not every day you have an opportunity to really 
just be a jerk and get away with it in life. Like only in art can you really do that because we all know about karma. <laughs> so that that was pretty enjoyable, really. And and then. Um, I don't know really if I thought about it. I just thought this is going to be fun to just be an asshole and like <laughs> piss people off I just kind of thought about it that way and then um, you know uh, the uh, well yeah you know the, I think the only time where I really thought about playing somebody was during the commercial because how many time, how many how many of those commercials have you seen where the guy's like He's got a good point, but he's just a little slick, you know, and you're like, what's wrong with him? So that, I was just, you know, I sort of conjured up those, those people. But other than that, it was really more about, um, my approach is really about the person and about the, um, the depth of the person and how, you know, so if I, if I want to be a dick, I have to feel all the pain that I feel about being human and let that be underneath all that activity. So that's really what I'm focusing on is ow, ow. You know, and um, and to be kind, I suppose, was, is just the opposite. You know, it's just like not, you know, that and just remembering the lines. <laughs> you want to say something? I was just playing myself, so. Right. <laughs> Did you feel right? Right. Right. Did you feel like Grover was? You know me very well, so you felt Grover was not me. That's kind of interesting. I, I, you know, I wasn't. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> oh yeah, the trappings of cab. Yes. Yes. Actually, I drove, I drove a cab back in India. It's true. <laughs> yes. Thank you guys. Appreciate it. Bye. All right. Thank you. Appreciate it. It's great. Thank you. Um, yeah. So the uh, the thing there was uh, it was actually funny because of the play. Again, that was the, this was the acting direction that I needed from Jana and Niels, um, and then also our chemistry as well. In the play, again, I played him as an evangelist, and I played him very much the Indian guru. He was when he became a guru, he had all the saffron clothes and all this crap, you know, and and that exactly. I think it, it just was too obvious. And so what we did was we downplayed the accent um, and said, make him, just there's subtleties in his accent. You know, Mr. Dick, I mean, he calls him <laughs> Mr. by his first name and things like that. So make it like that rather than just go all out with, with Grover. And again, that's part of also just playing Grover down um, where it, 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 everyone's had that experience where we've been in that cab with that foreign, you know, <laughs> cab driver. Um, so, but, but rather than not play it, car to make it a caricature, I guess. Is that how you... Is that yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, the obvious choice. It's wild seeing it on a bigger screen. You know, all the subtleties come out. It yes. makes me think, you know, and some of the... Um, well, I've never really been, honestly, happy with the the second set of Dick scenes where he mm. comes out and he's having his fit and his big tantrum and the cab ride. I've never, never really, like, really felt really? that for some reason. And... Yeah, I think, you know, seeing it on the big screen makes me feel like, oh, yeah, yeah, if I had just pulled that back just a little bit, I think it probably would have, you know, like you know, we did you know with your accent. That, that, yeah, the, the opening scene of that, but when you're in, the, when he's in the cab, I don't know if you've, I've seen this, there's an intensity to the way you're staring that that was totally underplayed, that was the right, to me, just like, I, I love that when you just look, you're like, you know. Yeah, I think that's more effective on a big screen than the than the shouting and the, all yeah, that big, the, you know, yeah. yeah. We don't have a relator up here, so I just want to conjure that energy yeah, exactly. and yeah. check in with the, the where, what we want to do for the rest of the night and how the audience is feeling. Um, <laughs> well, how's y'all's energy level? Because one of the things that we wanted to do was go like deeper into what bootstrapping is and and the, how it applies to film. Is do people need a break? Are you interested in going into something like that? I personally don't. Okay. I love film and art films, and always looking at. I'm always looking at a piece of art and film that has a meaning that goes beyond just what's on the screen. So it's universal. And if I were approaching screenwriting or anything else, it would have to be, I would have to contemplate that I am doing something maybe on a small scale that's going to have tentacles that go all the way out. 
you know, so it would be more of an artistic endeavor in that way. And hopefully then the market that you're going to get is going to be lots of different people in lots of different areas. I don't know, did that make any... So were you saying you wanted to talk more about that? or? No, I, I was just wondering if anybody approaches filmmaking like that rather oh. than just like, okay, I'm trying to market this thing. Yeah, we, because well, then it automatically will seek its market. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, I mean, I, I can speak a little bit about that because, you know, for Little Dove, Little Dove was very, very personal to me. Um, and the reason I wanted to tell that story is because I felt compelled to share that location with others and to be able to preserve it, you know, in, in my mind forever, you know, like to be able to share it. So, um, that was the original intention within the background of I'm not just going to make something and like nobody sees it, it doesn't get out there, it doesn't get sold uh, because it's not considered necessarily a successful film if you don't do the second piece to it. And so um, in the process of making it, creating it, you know, casting it, doing all that piece of it, it was definitely a bigger vision than, oh, I got to sell this film and I got to make sure I do all the pieces for it. Um, does that kind of speak to what you were... Well, yeah, because now you're in the Valley of Death trying to, touch, mm -hmm. trying to take this artistic creation out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and, and you're exactly right. Each stage needs to be honored. I mean, so the thing that's really interesting is if you get too caught up in how you're going to make money on something, the purity of that... A great example is Google. So there was a guy that started a company down in Southern California that was a, a search engine much like how Google today works, which is paid search, you know, the keywords and all that. And Bill Gross, a very smart guy, had sort of thought through the whole business model. He's like, yeah, this is how you make money on search, you know? People want to be found. So you, you charge them for search, and then if they pay you enough, they get to the top of the search results. The Google boys didn't have any concept of how they were going to make money on search. They just, they just looked at the search problem and said, you know what? Search is broken. And search is broken because we get a thousand results back, but th it's like, you know, it's a needle in a haystack. It's just as good as not being able to search. So Larry Page, uh, he's actually, it comes from an academic background. And his dad is a professor at, at a university. And, and he knew that the great papers, the great academic papers, are the ones that have the most citations. In other words, other people have cited your paper. It's a very important paper. It tells you a lot about that paper. So um, there's, a, there's a mathematician called Erdos, for example, Paul Erdos, that, that he collaborated with so many people. And he is considered a giant because of that. So Page said, oh my god, wait a second. The, the, the web is weighted. Because if I have a website and I go filmmaker and I go brandy, then guess what? I'm actually saying I put a vote down for filmmaker for brandy. So they just figured out all we got to do is count up these votes, count up the links, and how many how many votes brandy's getting. If she's getting the most votes, she gets to the top of the list. So guess what? They had a search engine that really worked. Okay, this is like took them three or four years to do that. Then they're like, okay, how do we make money? Here's Bill Gross. He says, hey, here's how you make money. You you tamper with the search result. <laughs> you let someone pay you and destroy the search result. So then they were confronted by the valley of debt situation, which is the integrity of what they'd figured out in that ideation stage, but the challenge of making money. So it's like you keep your integrity, but you stay poor, mm -hmm. or you make money and, you, and you know, you're given to the dark side, right? And so what they realized, what the, what the genius of what they did was they said, no, we, we refuse to choose. Right? We're going to keep our integrity, and we're going to make this third alternative. And so that was the result, which is two search engines in one. And you see, when you, when you run a Google search, you get two results. One is the sponsored links, which is a different search engine. And then the core main site is the main search engine, right? So they held on to that integrity. So what's really interesting is, I think, like the purity of Niels's approach, the creative approach that you have here, is simply, in the ideation phase, just work on what it is. You know, that location inspired you. You grew up there, right? Mm -hmm. So that location inspired her. So th that's what she had to go do. But then, once you get into VOD, now you've got to confront the sell part. And it's not that it magically happens. That, that's sort of a real misnomer, that things just sell themselves. It's just, you know, it doesn't happen. But I think it's also about saying, where am I? This is what I've got to do right now. Don't worry about the next stage. Because if you worry too ahead, if you try to get too smart and do that, you'll actually tamper with this. Mm -hmm. The Google guys would have never come up with a great insight if they, with Bill Gross, which is like, hey, I'm going to make money first. You know, because you, ha you haven't actually solved the real problem. You know, so... Well, and what I would say is it's about not overproducing your demo because what, what I hear is that you're an, you're an artist and you wanted to you know write this story and, and tell this story great job and thank you, thank you for coming thank you, a lot. Thank you. Thank and a lot of times so I would I wouldn't say make yeah. these little these little micro uh, you know storylines to, to hit multiple markets and niche multiple markets you know write 
write write your your screenplay or your story and then go test it and see if you can find an audience once once you found the audience and know that it, it can be sustainable then you can go back and put a lot more production into it or make a second one or make a second one yeah but too, too many times people will think oh I've got this great idea if it's just a hobby well then great just self-express but if you want to make it sustainable and, and, and viable then create just enough demo to present and showcase your idea to try to find that audience once you've found an audience that was going to pay for that oh well then you can go back and put a lot more time energy and resources to go to that audience yeah so, so, yeah. And what and what what can a demo be? A demo can be a short. It can be a screenplay. It can be an illustration. It's just something that is going to communicate your idea to whoever you would like to to uh, you know purchase it. And if they validate, wow, that's awesome! I, I want to support you in that. Then you can go back and, and create a bigger production. That was that's an interesting um, direction. I mean, I, I see you as making different types of films, expressing your creativity in these different genres and so forth. Mm. Kind of, you guys in both, what, what you've seen it is, is, is uh, there's kind of a movement. It's like a, a you know a movement film. You know where it's playing into the bootstrapping mm. philosophy, mm-hmm. or in this one you you mentioned. Well, maybe I've got to make this film six different ways for six different audiences. So it's you're mm. you're, you're playing uh, stepping into sort of the AIDS awareness movement. You're learning that market, and then you're mm. creating films and different uh, types of films, different lenses, views for different parts of it, but all within that framework. And you're building on what you've already done. You're not going and starting over with a new film. Your next film, you know, you're doing other activities within that area. Mm-hmm. Different kinds of directions, I see. Did you have a comment about the, 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 those things? Or Is that accurate? Or yeah, I mean, absolutely. absolutely. You know. for, me, for me, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's all, it's, I'm like consumed by these ideas and I have to keep expressing them in different ways. And so, so everything kind of kind of wraps back onto the same uh, similar theme that just keeps I keep hitting at it. You know, I write a book about it, then I make a film about it, then I, you know, that. So that's I'm, I'm like a one horse, one trick horse. It looks like I'm doing a lot of things, but I'm actually only doing one thing. Right. I mean, which is just deepening my understanding of these very old ideas that are in the Tao and the Gita and all these ancient texts, and then trying to find a way to you know communicate them and 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 in whatever format I can get and however will help me. That's my whole thing. And so that's a really interesting point, which is I don't want to, that's my base. You know, that's, my, that's what I know. That's the, that's the foundation on which I stand. And so it's very interesting for me because I get a lot of the, are you a filmmaker? Are you a community organizer? Are you a writer? Are you, what the hell are you? I'm like, <laughs> no, I'm not none of those things. You know, I am, I've done those things, but that's not, I don't want to become a better writer. I don't want to become a better actor. That's not my deal. I want to become a better explainer of models, <laughs> you know. And then if I can do that, and then I'm, I'm really on my journey, you know. You want to be a better evangelist. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. And, and I think, you know, for me, I did several different genres. I didn't really want to be pigeonholed into one genre, one specific thing. Instead, it's more like this is my journey as a filmmaker. And so I've by having all three of those films as part of my demo, that's like my demo as me as a filmmaker in the world and like yeah, what I'm capable of. Right. So that's interesting because your, your, your anchor is filmmaking, mm-hmm. whereas us, we're, we're almost accidental so filmmakers. Yeah. So you're a filmmaker and so that, that breadth of that's where she's going deep and so that's the range of things she wants to be able to how can I do comedy you know that kind of thing so cool. how can, I didn't see your film I came in to see your film yeah um, I missed your films so how would I be able to get that to access them now um, I have some copies in the back of Little Dove and Open House um and outside of that, you can go to B-Side probably next week, and it'll be available for digital download. B-Side. We'll, we'll send you, we've got your email. We'll send you an email about all that, actually. 
And then the other thing is, um, those guys that were sitting here, Movies in a Flash, they said that by probably tomorrow, it'll be available on my site, which is littledovethemovie.com, and you'll be able to digitally download it there. But, I mean, w the, the thing is that the DVD has bonuses on it. It has, like, a whole behind-the-scenes, and it has, like, a whole bunch of stills and, that are That's played beautiful. with music. And I mean, so it's, like, more value than you're going to get from a digital download. And actually, the quality is better because, you know, mm. when you're watching it on you know a phone or on your computer it's not as good as if you can see it in your you know your TV at home or here you know when did you get started in um, I guess it was about oh three I think is whenever I started you know deciding that that might be kind of fun to do and establish <laughs> some more and I think oh, uh, Snake Pit which was the first one here which I guess you didn't see was 05 and then it got finished edited in 06 so like by the time I would say that I'm I'm definitely a filmmaker and people could see my stuff would be 05 sorry was what when we Oh yeah, yeah. O six was when we, we made the film. Um, we just we just got it just wasn't time yet. You know, for me it's all right action, right time. So I'm like, yeah, no, we made the film, and um, at that time actually it was interesting because Jana um, was very keen to get it into South by Southwest, and so she's like, can we hold off to get that? I'm like, that's not my path, but okay, great. You know, I, I had to honor that, and so then it didn't get into South by Southwest, and it was like, great, sweet. I didn't want it to get there anyway. Um, and then, then it kind of like I was like, oh, great, I can take that. But then it was uh, other things had to fall into place. So, um, so yeah. So I think I think now we're actually getting ready to really put the word out there and figure out the because there's a larger message under underneath. Going back to your cause thing, it's a larger message. It's a larger platform for me of, of bootstrapping and teaching people that. And and so then it's it's, an, it's a supporting piece. Um, in fact, one of the things that's happening right now, we're back in ideation with Lance, who unfortunately didn't stay. Um, Lance, who did the, f the, the sound, the film, the, his name is Lance Keltner, he's a musician in town, has a record Text company, Techstone Records, yeah. And he, um, he did this, the soundtrack. And we're, we're, we're actually talking about how do we create an hour and a half experience, which involves some of my music and his music and, and audios and paintings and things like that, that really get people to, um, you know, kind of uh, come, into come into contact with these ideas, so. Thank you so much. I really appreciate y'all being here. Yeah, Thank thanks. you guys, really. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for sticking yeah. around. <laughs> thanks for listening to Boot Rap. This content is copyright 2006, Bootstrap Network, all rights reserved. Our thanks to Charlie Crow and the Podsafe Music Network for our theme music.